0: Good morning, guys. Um, I'm going to start worship off by reading a psalm. This is Psalm 16. I'm going to read just the last half of it. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Well, good morning and welcome to Regeneration. We are so glad to have you here this morning and we hope that as we sing together and listen to God's word and pray together and are just together that you will be interrupted by his love and grace. Um, If it's your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, We would love to give you a gift. We have mugs out in the lobby and connect cards Um, and I'm trying to really stay, I have a little bit of pregnancy brain going on so I have my announcements here so I'm like trying to stay on top of stuff but... Um, With the connection card, you can fill it out. It's the card that says, hey, and then you put it in the basket right next to it. And what that does is, then you'll be getting our emails, which come out every Wednesday or Thursday, and just let you know what's going on here at Regen, different events that are happening, um, maybe even explain like our check-ins and things like that. So it just gives you more information. Um, Today, right after the service, we're having Discover Regen, which is just basically a pizza lunch over in the Otterbein room um, with Kyle and Zach. And they'll just be talking more about regen, giving you more information about um, what all we're about here, um, how you can jump in and get connected. Um, Just to help us order pizza, not to put anyone on the spot, if you know you're staying, would you mind just, like, raising your hand? I won't, like, Kyle's going to be, okay. That just helps us kind of know how much pizza to order. Okay, thanks, guys. And young Dan, I saw him too. So, All right, and then today, Student Circle is actually not going to be happening. Which Student Circle is for students sixth through 12th grade. It's not going to be at our house. It's going to be um, at Allie's house, who is one of the students who come because they have a pool. So they're doing a pool party. And it will be at 4 PM. And you're going to have to see Aaron after the service for the address, because I don't have that. So he will tell you where to go at 4 PM if you want to go to the Student Circle swim party. Um, and then next Saturday at our house at ten p m we 're doing a book club what ten am, 10 a.m. what i say 10 a.m. Girl. I, because it 's written down, and I still can 't say the right you can words we 'll <laughs> we'll be in bed. you can come over, but we 'll be in bed um at ten a m saturday september twenty second we 're going to be doing families where grace is in place um this first one is on marriage, so we 'd invite you to come with your spouse if you 're going to come um and then the next two, what it's It's as I said, book club, before I said 10 p.m. <laughs> That's okay. I was like, what am I saying now? <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I do this to him, so it's all fair at the other church, the other campus. Um, okay, so book club, Saturday, 10 a.m. This first one is on marriage. The second two, one will be in October, one will be in November, and they'll be on parenting. So... You can see me after if you have questions about that, and I'll hopefully have answers for you. Don't feel super confident right now. Um, and then finally, October 7th is going to be our Sweatpants Sunday. So that's, we say it's the comfiest Sunday of the year, so you can wear a pair and bring a pair. And we donate them to McGuffey K-8, which is um, a school on the northwest side of Warren. And they use them for kids who um, need clothes during the day. So um, if you want to come... Wear your own pair of sweatpants. Bring a kid-sized pair, a new kid-sized pair to donate, and we'll just have a lot of fun with Sweatpants Sunday. So I'm going to have Zach come up now and pray for our offering.
1: Hey, guys, I'm Zach. I'm going to pass these around like normal. Um, You guys have your slips, and there's some ideas on there about how uh, if you guys plan on giving today. Um, But before that, just uh, go ahead and pray with me. Lord Jesus. You are with us and we are with you today. You are the the one who sees us and knows us better than anybody else. So we thank you for that and we thank you for being with us always in every moment of our life, good and bad. Lord, just use today to just silent our minds and let us meditate on the words in the sermon that we hear today. Let it penetrate us. Let your spirit sink in and grasp us in a way that it hasn't before. Teach us something today that we didn't know. Reveal something today that... We didn't quite understand. Just give us your peace today, Lord, and uh, let us offer whatever it is we need to offer to you so that we can follow you better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: God, when you revealed yourself to Moses, you said, I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You are just so steady in our lives, you are so constant. And yet you also invite us to call you Father because you love us. And so, Father, we do just turn our attention to you this morning. We want to hear your voice. And we want it to cut through our stuff. And so, God, help us to give you our attention this morning. Help us to hear good news this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Regen. My name's Kyle, and I get to be one of the pastors here. I'm going to send the kids back with Miss Taylor. So, kids K through six head back for Regen Rangers. And uh, there, was a, there was a lightning fast, a lot of movement. They just, it was very sudden. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to do Discover Regen with you today to chat about just what God's doing. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 as we continue in this series called Circles. Luke chapter 19. Let's see. Let's let's have a conversation among those of us who grew up in church for a minute. Zacchaeus was a a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted to see, and he Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Why? Because I'm coming to your house today. Because I'm coming to your house today. If you were raised in church, you learned that song. But this is the text that it comes from in Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Interesting fact that he—it's unclear whether Zacchaeus is the wee little man or Jesus. And uh, I, I have been known to say uh, that there's not anybody that wouldn't look a little more attractive if they weren't a little taller. I'm um, sizes, is what my wife says. Um, so short Jesus is problematic for me. Okay, just saying tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he, Zacchaeus, ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his home in great excitement Enjoy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, he calls him Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. When Zacchaeus heard that Jesus would be passing through Jericho that day, something surprising welled up inside of him. Zacchaeus a traitor to his own people, an employee of Rome. Assisting in the oppression of his own people, Zacchaeus, an outcast from society because of allegiance not to Israel but to Caesar, Zacchaeus finds himself stirred up in curiosity to lay eyes on this carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus Jesus. This carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus who all reports said could do things no one else could do. Zacchaeus was fabulously wealthy. To be a tax collector for Rome at this point in history meant that you betrayed your own people. Zacchaeus was an Israelite working for a foreign government. He went to collect taxes from his brothers and sisters, taxes that by all historical accounts were oppressive and crushing taxes to the tune of 50, 60, even sometimes 70% of a hardworking man and woman's income is what Caesar took. And Zacchaeus made his money by adding to that number. Uh, tax collectors were not regulated. And so I, as a tax collector, could tax the bilers the 50% Rome wanted, but add another 20 for my income. And on the backs of his own people, on the backs of his neighbors and friends, Zacchaeus was rich. And so he left his home that day to go see Jesus and finds the street that Jesus is walking down, but finds that he can't lay his eyes on Jesus. The crowds are too thick. And he is so hated and so disliked by his neighbors and his friends and the other people living in Jericho. He can't just press into this mass of people without running the risk of an elbow being thrown or worse. And so Zacchaeus knows no option. He can't get his eyes on Jesus until he looks along the road and sees, bending over the street, a sycamore fig tree, just like the sycamore fig tree that grew in his backyard as a child. For Zacchaeus, climbing a sycamore fig tree was like riding a bike. And so Zacchaeus, not a little boy anymore, scrabbles up the tree And he sees Jesus, Jesus, who the prophet Isaiah says, there was nothing about his appearance to draw us to him, nothing comely, a man of sorrows. What Zacchaeus sees is just a dude taking a walk down a street. And suddenly this dude, this Jesus, his eyes look not to the crowds, but to Zacchaeus, and Jesus' eyes meet Zacchaeus' eyes and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Never once has Zacchaeus met Jesus and yet Jesus has known Zacchaeus from the very foundation of the world. Can you imagine what happened inside Zacchaeus when he heard Jesus who to him was a stranger call his name? Zacchaeus Come down from that tree, for I must be a guest in your house. Zacchaeus tumbles out of the tree and leads Jesus along the road to his house, his house that was lavish and beautiful and far too big for just one man alone. And they sit down to eat a meal together. And at this time in history, important people, when they gathered together for a meal, this was a spectator sport. So imagine Jesus and Zacchaeus sitting across the table, reclining really across the table and having a conversation, and passers-by, other important members of the community, coming into the dining room and lining the walls to watch this conversation. And Zacchaeus hears the scribes and the Pharisees and the especially righteous and the corner of the room grumble to themselves, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Zacchaeus is an honest man in his own way. He knows that he has betrayed his people. He knows that he is an outcast. He knows that he is the worst of the worst. And yet something happens as this Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, sits at his table and, and, and is inside his house. Something shifts inside of him such that Zacchaeus leaps up from the dining room table and says, Lord, Lord, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus, fabulously wealthy off the backs of his friends and neighbors, gives up what is of absolute and utmost importance to him, money, simply so that he can have Jesus. He is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Zacchaeus will not have two pennies to rub together by the end of the next week and Jesus looks at him and says salvation has come to this house today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. True sons of Abraham are not the scribes and the Pharisees who fastidiously keep the law. It's not the especially good or the especially religious or the especially righteous. No, Jesus says a true son of Abraham is one who reaches out in faith for Jesus. Salvation has come to this house for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. In the Gospel of Luke, we meet a Jesus who is doing something our mothers taught us not to do. He is inviting himself over. Did your mom yell at you for this when you were growing up? I'm an extrovert. I I liked being with my friends. I was very good at inviting myself over to my friend's house for dinner or for sleepovers. It took me a long time to learn that that was impolite. But Jesus doesn't care about propriety. Jesus loves being in people's homes. He loves invading their territory. He loves getting on someone else's turf because he knows that entering someone's home is how we really get to know someone. And the funny thing about Jesus is that once he entered the house, he made himself at home, sometimes for days and even weeks and sometimes even months. My grandpa has this saying, fish and guests stink after three days. This is another rule that Jesus has never heard of because Jesus sets himself up in the homes of complete strangers, in their living rooms, and in their dining rooms, and in their guest rooms, and their homes become his base of operation. And the kingdom of Jesus breaks through in these people's living rooms and kitchens in extraordinary and surprising ways. And when Jesus enters a house, something unusual happens. The host becomes the guest, and the guest, Jesus, becomes the host. Jesus gets up close and personal. He reveals himself to his people, and almost every time that he's just eating a meal, he leaves the house saying, salvation has come to this house. Last week, we looked at the early church, the church that sprung up in the days and weeks immediately after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And they wrapped their lives around five practices that they saw in the life of Jesus. They devoted themselves, Scripture says, to the apostles' teaching or to the Scriptures. They devoted themselves to prayer and praise. They devoted themselves to radical community and sharing life together, to multiplying themselves, to being a part of a movement that grows, to proclaiming and preaching and demonstrating in miracle and acts of service the good news of Jesus. And as they did these things, the gospel, Acts says, spread from house to house In Acts chapter uh, 2, the text says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, after Jesus ascended into heaven, there wasn't like a church down on the corner in Jerusalem for everybody to go to. Early Christians worshipped where Jews had always worshipped, in the temple of Jerusalem, God's house, the place where heaven and earth met. But not only did they spend time worshiping the temple together, they left the temple and went to their homes and they received their food. I love that with glad and generous hearts, which means, by the way, they weren't just eating like sloppy joes that somebody threw together in five minutes. They were eating good food. Christians of all people know how to eat. And the people of Jesus developed these main bases of operation, home and temple. And they go back and forth between these two places, home and temple, temple and home, home and temple. And what they experienced was that the spirit of Jesus broke through in both places equally. And it's this rhythm of temple, home, home, temple, temple, home, home, temple. It's what defines the earlier followers of Jesus. And that's why the gospel continues to say in the book of Acts that it spread from house to house to house, not city to city not person to person, not church building to church building to church building, but house to house. And Paul, one of the church's earliest leaders, would enter, would, would travel around the world to share the good news of Jesus. And he would enter into a city and he would go to what was called the synagogue. The synagogue was like a portable temple. If you couldn't get to worship in Jerusalem because you lived in, for example, Corinth in Greece, it's a long commute, right? Uh, you would worship at the synagogue and he would leave the synagogue after preaching there and inevitably end up in someone's home. In fact, when Paul goes to Corinth and preaches the gospel in the synagogue, he meets a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and a wife, who are Jews who had fled from Rome fearing persecution. They put their faith in the gospel and they invite Paul to come live with them. They become literally co-workers. Paul made tents for a living, so did Priscilla and Aquila, and pretty soon they leave behind their livelihood and start traveling with Paul to plant churches. And in 1 Corinthians 16, at the end, there's these ends of these letters in the New Testament where Paul just kind of starts giving shout-outs to all these people he knows. And he says in Acts chapter 6, and 1 Corinthians 16, he says, Aquila and Pris- Priscilla or Prissa, together with the church in the house, send the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. First of all, phrase I don't use enough, hearty greetings in the Lord. Okay, number one. Number two. Together with the church in their home, the church in their home. Here's what we see. Jesus enters into people's homes, and in their homes there was significant kingdom breakthrough. And so Jesus' earliest followers mirror this, and they take the gospel from house to house, and the church grows from house to house as homes become the primary outposts for the kingdom. They become, upon entering them, a taste of what heaven might actually be like. But this is of course how we live because we don't believe our homes are our our outposts for the kingdom, we believe our home is our castle. My home is my castle. It's a place of retreat, it's a place of escape. The first 300 years of Christianity were marked by unprecedented, rapid, exponential growth in the way of Jesus. After Jesus ascends into heaven, there are only a few thousand Christians in Jerusalem. And by the end of the second century, by 300 AD, there are millions of Christians dotting the Roman Empire. Millions. How does a movement that starts in one city with a few thousand become millions spreading over the entire Mediterranean into southwest India, as far north as Scotland. Scholars credit a lot of this growth, not to building campaigns, not to good preaching. They do not, they do not uh, ascribe it to a political system that was part- particularly favorable to Christianity. They ascribe it to growth from house to house to house to house. When Christianity became illegal, Christianity was illegal in its first 300 years in the Roman Empire it was outlawed. Christians were persecuted. They were hung on stakes on streets and set fire so that they could see. They were put in colosseums and eaten by lions. But Christianity becomes legal at the beginning of the 3rd at the beginning of the 4th century in about 325 and almost overnight the rapid exponential growth of of the way of Jesus it slows almost to a halt. It slows to a halt as churches become a place instead of a gathering, become a physical place instead of a group of people. As the early Christians saw that Zeus has a temple, and Caesar has a temple, and Apollo has a temple, there's a little piece of land right there that we could put a temple to Jesus. By the time the 5th century rolls around, Christian clergy... Christian priests are tax-exempt citizens just like every other priest in the Roman Empire. And soon it just becomes about building and places. And now we fast forward to where our primary assumption when you hear the word church is a physical structure, not a group of people. And what we have lost in the last 1,700 years or so is this rhythm of temple, home, temple, home. Instead, we do temple, 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 and go home and pull up the drawbridge, and the Christian stuff is for temple. But how I live in the privacy of my own home is up to me. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, calls us to engage in the practice of biblical hospitality, something that was norm and commonplace in the early church. And she calls us to this because the title says it all. Our homes are far from castles. They are given to us instead to create a foretaste of heaven so that when people walk across the threshold of my front of my door, when people enter my living room and my dining room and my kitchen, they experience a taste of heaven. Our homes are not reserved for a select few, our family and closest friends who know the password and the code to the garage. Our homes can be offered to acquaintances and even strangers for launching Kingdom Work. And so Rosaria Butterfield writes, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way, a daily way, that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors family of God. When our Christian homes are open, we make transparent to a watching world what Christ is doing with our bodies, our families, and our world. For Christians to maintain an authentic Christian witness to a world that mistrusts us, at the very least, we must be transparently hospitable. About five, six years ago, there was a book written called The Benedict Option. Uh, In the early years of Christianity, two things were happening. As, As many Christians were practicing hospitality at the risk of their own lives, other Christians were retreating to the deserts of North Africa to become monks and nuns. They retreated from the world into monastic life. And in the Benedict Option, the author argues that because Western culture is so opposed to the values of Christianity, we ought to take the Benedict Option. We ought to withdraw into Christian commune until the tides change and the outside culture, the culture of the world, is more amenable to the Christian witness. In other words, hide out until things change. There's the Benedict Option. Or there's the way of hospitality. There's the belief that the gospel comes with a house key. Early Christians invited people into their homes who left dinner, who left that table fellowship and went to the mayor, went to the authorities and betrayed them. They practice hospitality at the risk of their very own lives. And what we're scared of is somebody seeing that our floors aren't that clean. What we're scared of is losing some of our introvert time. What we're scared of is losing another night of the week to watch Netflix. We can hide from the world, a world that doesn't understand us, that doesn't understand the Christian way of life, or we can throw our doors open wide. The early Christians, they were called cannibals by the Roman citizens because they said every time we gather, we eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ. But by opening their homes to their neighbors who thought they were strange and weird and from another world, they saw in the looks on their faces and in the laughter and in the sharing of food together, a new and better way. They saw a taste of heaven. Hospitality is a beautiful biblical word that comes from the Greek word xenia. Philo, Philadelphia, love. Xenia means the alien or the stranger. Philosinia, it means to love the stranger. It appears all over the place in the New Testament. And Romans were invited to seek to show hospitality. And First Peter were challenged to show hospitality to one another, caveat, without grumbling. In Hebrews, this is interesting, we are told to practice hospitality. And this is exactly what it says, because some have entertained angels unaware which can only happen if you practice hospitality toward a stranger. Because, like, Zach comes over my house all the time, 99.9% sure he's not an angel. Right? I uh, love you. Uh, there was a, one of my friends from college, though. He interned at our church in Illinois. His name was Ben. Ben might be an angel. Because, like, I never saw him sin once. You know what I'm saying? Like, he never was mean or stressed out. Ben might be. Zach's not. Ben, Ben Rule, if you're listening online, very possibly an angel. Practice hospitality because you might entertain angels unaware. In first Timothy, Paul lays out these qualifications for church leadership. Like what kind of leaders does the church does the church need to have? It says they need to have one spouse, like which does which means like they can't just like have multiple wives or be in multiple relationships at the same time. But they, they have to know God's word. They have to they have to have a good reputation in the community. They have to be honorable, they have to be wise with money. They don't they can't be greedy and they must practice hospitality. Hospitality is so important to the New Testament way of Jesus, that leaders who do not practice hospitality are disqualified from being leaders. And the phrase Rosaria Butterfield uses is radically ordinary hospitality. We've been trained to think, could you throw up that picture, Dan, that Norman Rockwell painting? We've been trained to think that this is what hospitality ought to look like. We've got to get the china out. We've got to get the crystal out. We've got to polish the silverware. There needs to be a centerpiece, Martha Stewart. There needs to be a tablecloth Joanna Gaines, like everything has to be perfect, nothing can go wrong. That is not radically ordinary hospitality, that is entertaining. Radically ordinary hospitality is simply inviting people into our homes as they are, which means if you come to our house, and many of you have been in our house, we most often eat on paper plates. Our floor is almost always disgusting, like don't eat off my floor, like you drop something, it's like a negative five-second rule. It got gross on the way down. You know what I'm saying? Because we have people in our house all the time. Why clean? You know what I'm saying? Like, why Why try? Until, like, Aaron, I don't care. Aaron or Steph, Aaron, who's part of our family on Mission and lives with us, like, one of them gets stressed out, like, we need to do something about this. Because it's like, it kind of like, starts to feel like walking on Legos no matter where you go, right? But it's just food in the kitchen. Uh, it's gross. It's nasty. I'm also exaggerating. It's not that bad. I'm trying to that's not true. And... Um, It's paper plates. It's one of three meals that we know how to make quickly. I mean, it is simple, it is ordinary, and it is absolutely radical because hospitality renders our homes hospitals and incubators, is what Rosaria Butterfield says. Hospitality renders our homes hospitals and incubators. Think about that for a minute. It renders our homes hospitals. It becomes a place where the wounded get better. We've had three people live with us in the last year and a half. Um, It also is a place, and one of them got better. It also is a place of incubation. It is a place where growth and, and thriving is possible. It's been a joy to watch people thrive in our homes. It renders our homes, hospitals, and incubators, it is tremendously messy. It is tremendously costly. It's one thing to have somebody over for dinner. It's another thing to share your guest room long-term. Things get broken. There's disagreement about how to do the dishes. There's a giant stain on my driveway from Sarah's car that I can't get out. There's like a, Sarah, you left a coffee stain in, the, in, the, in your bedroom. We know where it is. But in that process we are experiencing a new level of who Jesus is. What we're trying to do as a church is move from a belief that my home is my castle back to home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. We open our homes to people we know well. We open them to those we don't know well Because we want to be like Jesus, we want to be like the early Christians who understood that when we open our homes to one another, we stop dealing with one another and speaking to one another from behind the masks that it's very easy to wear for an hour on Sunday. Fulfilling a religious obligation, coming in and out of here in an hour is so easy because when somebody asks how you're doing, you can say, fine, fine which I learned in the movie The Italian Job means freaked out, insecure, nervous, and emotional. I have never met a person who's fine. That's just something white people say, you know what I mean? What we're actually doing is trying to enter one another's homes and deal, I don't know, it's just something I feel like I would see on Twitter. Um, (laughs) We can speak to one another and deal with one another on the level, not on the level of the mask that we wear, but at the level of the heart. Because when you're in my home and I'm in your home, we're now dealing with one another as we actually are. This is the passion. Get ready. It's coming. Um, uh, Randy's going to talk in a second. Are we still doing that? Okay. She said, she said, sure, really high pitch. That means she's feeling real confident, right? <laughs> the higher the pitch, the more we're in. And um, the more fine she is, yeah. Um, This is the heart behind circles. The heart behind circles is can we not set aside, I'm not asking for, listen, read Rosaria Butterfield's book. They literally have people in their home seven days a week. It's like, I don't even, I can't even begin to think about that. Like we're trying to set aside one night a week to have people in our home. And we said we were gonna do that three weeks ago. And so far we're getting like a rant, rant on our paper. What we're trying to say in circles is can we set aside one night a week to be in each other's homes, with our kids, to share a meal, and can we practice the way of Jesus together? That's what circles are. So, Randy Banning is one of our circle leaders, and I asked her to kind of talk about what she's enjoying about circles, anything that you want to talk about for circles for the next 60 to 90 seconds, right, say, second.
3: Okay. Um, ooh, goodness me. Um, I have been a Christian since, goodness, I was probably six or seven years old, and um. I know that the Bible says that God is always with us, and I know that Jesus says that he'll take care of all of our needs. Like, I know all that. But it's real easy for me to come into church on Sunday morning, no matter the size of the congregation, and um, not really, like, feel, like, seen or heard. You know what I mean? Um to really come into church on a Sunday morning and not look anyone in the eye. Um, And I know that it's like that for all of you too because we're really all the same. Um, So what's funny about circles is you cannot go into someone's house every week, eat at their table, um, you know, discipline your kids in front of them because my kids are like on pretty... Pretty good behavior when they're here in this building. But when they get into someone's home, they kind of forget everything that I've told them in the car on the (laughs) way there. Um, But, you know, you can't live life in someone's home. I mean, we clean up because, you know, we don't want to trash someone's house. So we clean up the Byler's home after we're finished. And, like, I'm rooting through the cupboards to find cleaner. Like, that is, like, real family and real life, and God uses the community in circles, serving together and living together to prove to us, to like really show us that he provides all of our needs, and he is here with us in a way that we don't really get when we're just here on Sunday mornings, so
2: We have, we, have two, we have three circles, kind of, what well, we do, have three circles at Regen. We have uh, one on Wednesdays in Howland at 6.30, one on Tuesdays in Cortland at 6.30, and then Student Circle, which meets on Sunday nights, usually in our home. Aaron and Dan and Rebecca lead that. Um, the goal with circles, some of you might be saying, well, Howland's kind of far from me or Cortland's kind of far from me. The goal with circles is to multiply them. So when they hit about 20, maybe a little bit more than that, we multiply, we do not divide, and we do not split, we multiply circles to other locations on other nights and at other times. So ideally, like in three years from now, we'd have a circle basically in every community. By then it might be called something different because this is on our way to another thing, but uh, on our, but ideally we would have multiple circles. So I have basically two challenges this morning. The one is join a circle, period. Like there is no like, or don't, because we have this other thing. Like, this is the thing we're doing as a church. Like, we we so believe that this is where, I so believe that this is where God wants us, um, that this is this is just what we're calling you to. And and not because, um, and not to create a culture of, I'm in a circle, so I'm a good Christian or whatever. Simply, simply because um, if I don't call you into life together, if we're not sharing life together, if we're not getting into the way of Jesus together, we're missing it. We're missing it. So the first thing is get into a circle, and if you want to do that, talk to Steph. There's Zach and Jenna, they lead one, the, Bi- the Bannings lead one, Art and Pam lead one with Julia and her husband who's not here and the Brits who aren't here. And the addresses are in the bulletin um, and contact info. And you share a meal together. We spend time in scripture together. Um, we pray together. It's great. That's my first challenge. The second one is this, by the end of October, invite someone into your home for a meal. If you have a home, invite someone into your home for a meal, someone who isn't your family and someone who hasn't been in your home before. See what I did there? Because it's like, there's people we, we, I mean, I have people in my home all the time, but if I say somebody that's not been in my home before, a new pool of people. And, and, and this is one real quick thing. If you're single, The way that we want to invite you into community is not by pushing you toward marriage, but inviting you into our families, right? So I think if we're gonna be a culture that says sex is for marriage, uh, and then we have people, because we're insisting on sex is for marriage, making stupid relationship decisions to get to the sex part, what we need to do is invite people into our families to, to call them into something beyond loneliness And like another, as I would say, like another night of eating Thai food in front of Netflix, right? Which is why we're committed to using our guest rooms for that way. And there's other people. In fact, there's another family in our church that is gonna be, I think, maybe kind of inviting somebody to live with them or have made an invite. I don't, buffering, I don't really know where the process is on that. But, so two things. First of all, join a circle. Second of all, invite somebody into your home that you have not had in your home before for dinner by the end of October. and and report that to us, either by telling us, texting us, messaging the Facebook page, we want to know. I'd like to see a list of that happening, because if you don't measure it, it doesn't really matter. And as you do that, a few reminders. A few reminders. First of all, hospitality is not entertaining, right? So paper plates, plastic utensils, don't go overboard. If you need to, just order pizza, right? Right? We're not trying to impress anybody and the reason that we keep it simple is because that makes it less burdensome, right? So like all of our circles eat on paper plates, actually we gave them paper plates and plastic silverware to start out with because if it's like washing dishes and doing all this stuff, you're not going to keep doing it because it's like, I mean, here's the secret of adulthood. Dishes are awful. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, there, all, are, they're, how, you know what I mean? And I know I'm the source of the problem, like I'm eating and put, but... Just Anyway, so thank you, Aaron, for being the one that does the dishes in our house a lot. Um, Hospitality is not entertaining. It doesn't need to be perfect. Your house doesn't need to be perfectly clean. This is a struggle for a lot of us. We have a mentor who they practice hospitality a lot, and the way that they kind of send this message of it doesn't have to be perfect is they leave a basket of unfolded clothing present where people can see it. Not undies. Nobody wants to see that. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, T-shirts and whatnot. Um, out for people to see because it sends that it's not about being perfect. The second thing is that, and this is something we use in our community all the time, passion is always more important than polish. Something's going to go wrong. like it, It's not going to work right. I mean, you have to be flexible with that and, it, and name it as okay. The other thing is to remember, by the way, nothing you own has eternal value. So people that you love are going to like leave rings heat rings on your end tables or water rings on things. Like, no eternal value. Like, we have this, we have this um, coffee table in our living room where we host a lot, and um, there's, like, all of these little white circles from, like, hot soup on them. And Steph's mom was like, I think I can fix this, and tried to, it made it worse. And at that point, it's like, you know what? Like, no eternal value, right? It's just stuff Like the only thing that will matter at the end of our life is the relationships that we have, not our perfect coffee table. Um, And the most important thing is to keep your eyes open for what Jesus is doing. Uh, Jesus is so passionate about being in people's homes. He's so passionate about being uh, in people's lives. We're going to talk about this next week, but in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is always coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. Which means, I said this last time, it means like Jesus may have been chunkier than we think he was. Like Jesus might be like a short, fat dude, right? Somebody was like, but he walked a lot. And I was like, no, he got really tired. Like that's why he asked for the donkey at the end. He was like, guys, listen, that's way too long of a walk. You need to go get me. Um... He's always coming from a meal, eating a meal, or going to a meal because he knows that there's something that happens when we get together in homes. There's something that happens when we share that, and, and it's messy and weird and uncomfortable and costs time when we have to take our kids' places and do a million other things. But in that in that space is where Jesus wants to work, and he already is. Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor And if I have cheated people on their taxes, Lord, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost here's what I want to invite you to do. We believe disciples are people who hear God's voice and does what he says. He, he, he reveals himself and we respond. And so um, what we're trying to do is just build some time for that because what happens is we rush out of here, we do a million things and we forget. So um, the band's going to come, they're just going to kind of play underneath and give you about a minute. On the back of your program, there's kind of like some journaling space. If you want to pray, just take this time to be with the Lord and, then, and respond to him. Maybe ask who do you want me to be inviting into my home, Um, ask about, um, this is the resistance I have against stepping into a circle legitimate, or is it just me being uncomfortable, process through that for a few, like a minute or so, and then Julia will give us some more instructions, so. Jesus invites to his table anybody with a pulse. He invites to his table those who are whole to remind them of their need for him. He invites to his table those who are broken to remind them that he is with them. Jesus tells us that there is a place at his table and a place in his father's house. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he offered it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, later in the supper, he took the cup and he offered it to his friends. He said, this cup is the new arrangement written in ink of my blood, which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins, that all would dwell in my Father's house forever. And at Regen, we take and receive, well, we receive communion every week. If you have a pulse, you're welcome at his table because it's his table, not ours. Someone will hand you a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, and as we like to say, taste and see that the Lord is is good. So, um, Steph and Chris and um, Zachary Michael.
1: what's
2: We pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ then in the eating of them and drinking of them, we might be the body of Christ, welcoming everyone into your home and table. The table is open. Uh, there's a place in our home for you. And uh, I hope you know that. Uh, we're going to do Discover. If you didn't raise your hand and are suddenly regretting that decision, just come, there's plenty of pizza. And uh, if not, I'll see you next week. Love you, bye.